happy Monday, Tot fam. Welcome back to another episode of Topics of Taboo, the raw and honest podcast where we unpack, educate, and attempt to erase the stigma surrounding taboo topics. I'm your host, Megan Dykeman. In today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Charlie Harris. She is one of my absolute besties, my soul sister, and one of the strongest and most selfless people I know. So I'm very lucky to be having her on the podcast today. She is going to be coming on and sharing a little bit about her story and her journey with depression, anxiety, and borderline personality disorder. So I did want to pop a little disclaimer here before the episode to if you are not comfortable listening to, or if any of the following topics trigger you, then I would advise you to tune out for this episode and maybe catch next week's episode instead. Um, We do touch on self-harm and suicide throughout the episode. Not in a lot of detail, but if those topics are triggering for you, maybe sit this one out and look forward to next week's episode. And without further ado, I would love to welcome Charlie onto the show. Woohoo! All right, Miss Charlie Harris. Hello, gal. How are you going? Welcome to the potty. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so very welcome. You're so welcome. (laughs) It's an exciting time, really. Um, How have you been doing in isolation? Um, Well, I'm in regional Victoria, so it hasn't been that bad. I know that people in Melbourne, it's really bad for them, but um, regional Victoria hasn't been as bad as that. So we still had that time where we had to be in our house for six weeks, but um, other than that, it's been pretty chill because... I've been studying pretty much, so all I do is stay inside anyway. So yeah. and you're me, still working as well, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Now, for those of you who don't know, Charlie's actually visiting me in Geelong right now as she is about to embark on a bit of an overseas venture, aren't you? Where yeah, are you going? Yeah. Where are you off to? Um, I'm off to the UK to live in London. Um, yeah, to be a nanny. So I've always wanted to do this and I've um, been planning it for a while and yeah, and COVID or anything like that wasn't going to stop me. I'm pretty determined. So yeah, I'm heading off next Saturday. So I'll be over there and yeah, moving in with the family and looking after their kids. So I'm really excited. Oh my God. That's so exciting. I literally can't believe like Charlie has been speaking about this and wanting to do this for the longest time. Like when did you book this trip? Uh, Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was like around New Year's Eve or something, wasn't it? Yeah, October. Yeah. Yeah, two years ago. On today's episode of Topics of Taboo, Charlie and I are going to be discussing our experience with depression and anxiety. Charlie and I wanted to open up a healthy discussion because speaking about one's own mental health can be difficult and everyone's experience is different. We also wanted to challenge the stigma surrounding not only mental health as a whole, but around admitting that you're not okay and being able to reach out for help. Because we both think that's something that is definitely improving within society, but it's we're definitely not there yet. We're not quite at a point where we should be yet. And both of us just wanted to say that you, if you are currently struggling and need someone to talk to, please, please, please reach out to someone, whether that be a friend, a loved one, a health professional, or a free service such as Lifeline or Beyond Blue that are there to help. They're professionals. They know what they're talking about. Lifeline offers a 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention hotline and the number for that is 13 11 14. We do have some questions from you guys that we're just about to answer and work through but before we get into those I'm going to hand the mic over to Charlie to tell us a bit about her experience with mental illness, the stigma she experienced, how she knew something was wrong, how she sought help and the repercussions she still endures to this day. 
Okay, gal, the floor is yours. Tell us a little bit about your experience with depression and where it all began. Um, okay, well, I remember being, I was 13, I was in year eight because I'm younger than everyone else in my year level. Um, so I was nearly 14. Um, I remember one day just being in class and then feeling like this huge weight just kind of like fell onto me and I felt really like heavy and I remember going, what the hell, what's this? Because I was always a real fun, like easygoing, yeah, like fun-loving girl. So yeah, it was a bit of a weird turn for me to feel this way Mm -hmm. and then I went home to my mum and my mum and I are very close so I just told her I've been feeling really sad and I don't know why and like why am I feeling like this and um my mum and dad both have experienced mental health before and a lot of the time when your parents have had it it's genetic so they kind of just were like well you know it's genetic we'll just keep an eye on it so we just yeah kept an eye on it um but I remember in year nine as I was growing through this and it became a bit more evident in my mind like it just kind of kept progressing they say that you know when you feel this sadness or numbness for a longer period of time of uh, more than two weeks um, every single day then it's something that you should kind of work or look into and um, so yeah mum and dad were very much on to me about that but yeah, I remember getting um, into year nine and it was quite like I'd never experienced being this sad before. I didn't know mm-hmm. what was happening to me. Yeah. Um, but I was always, yeah, I I found that I really, you know, was hanging out with my friends, like using my friendship groups as a form of um, a coping mechanism at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really at the forefront of my mind, but I always had that in the back of my mind, like I have this sadness, like yeah. I um. I kind of would, at school, at the start of that year, I would be really, you know, happy um, doing the things I love. But then when I get home, then I'd kind of feel this sluggishness um, and it would kind of hit me again at the end of the day. Um, But then towards the end of that year, it became more of like not the back of my mind. It became my whole identity and I really um, kind of just was like, I've got depression and... I um, am sad all the time and this is just who I am. You couldn't ignore it. Yeah, it was something, yeah. But again, I wasn't diagnosed at that point. I just was sad all the time. It then got quite dark and I turned to unhealthy, um, destructive coping mechanisms, um, which at that time was just how I thought that's how you dealt with it. Um, And at that time, I was saying to Megan before that when nine years ago, not many people spoke about depression. So... Um, and there were a few people that had the same, you know, were going through the same thing as me. But at that time, because you knew there's like a handful of people, you all kind of clumped together and you all talked about it. And that was kind of fueling the fire a bit. Yeah. And so um, we weren't really helping each other in that sense because we weren't, um, we were all 14, 15 year olds. And one of those things where a lot of people didn't really talk about it. I was really blessed that my parents knew mental health and they understood it but had experience yeah but a lot of people um didn't and Mm -hmm. so yeah I I remember then my mum saying that I better go to see a psychologist or um but because we thought let's just see we'll go to one of those um headspace we'll go to headspace um because it's free yeah um it's for people in high school but I didn't find that that helped me purely because at that point, everyone was asking me why you are, why are you sad, mm. what's happening, why, what's the reason, and I was like, I don't know. There's no reason, yeah. and and Nothing's I spent happened. weeks and weeks talking about my whole life, and they're 
the psychologists or the um sorry counselor the counselors were trying to dig into my past and nothing's happened that have you know has traumatically disturbed me like mm-hmm. it was just like I don't know why I feel sad and that's switch. just the way it is yeah and yeah everyone was really hassling me about what the reason was and and mm-hmm. I remember people at school my friends I would be like I'm just sad today and they'd be like why and I was like I don't know like I really couldn't answer mm-hmm. that question so I found that that wasn't helping and it was I went through a lot of counselors and a lot of psychologists through that year because I was wanting help and I knew that talking was helpful but at the yeah. same time um I didn't want to keep going through the same thing about why why cuz um a lot yeah. of people you know they thought that I um either was being being bullied and it's like no and I at the time I was dating a girl and they thought that might have been the reason but I never had that experience of being really uncomfortable or self-conscious about who I was and no. so coming out and doing all that that didn't happen for me I just decided to date a girl and that was how I was it was not a um me bottling up any emotion and no so I was everyone's kind of like why is she like this and what's happening in her life that could cause this and nothing really was there were little things in my life that um were happening that you know could be underlying things but it just the way that my whole mental health had turned quite upside down in a short period of time I don't think that those reasons that at the time were the reasons that I felt like yeah, this. There was nothing major. No, no. Um, nothing out of the blue no. um, that I'd been doing. Over the years, I sought help from the school counsellors and they were really helpful. And I met this one counsellor that was amazing and she, um, yeah, really, she like saved my life in my high school years because she just listened to me. She didn't ask me what mm. was wrong. She just wanted me to talk to her and, um, you know, unpack things and... Yeah, I think that I just wasn't myself and I didn't know who I was at that time either, um, which definitely didn't help me because I didn't want to help myself either. I was just in a real dark hole. I didn't know what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. again, as I said, I was surrounding myself with people that probably weren't good for me at the time. Um, But I was so young and I didn't really know when I was in year 12 I know that it was HSC and it was a pretty stressful year um but that was when it hit me the hardest I was um really depressed all the time um my behaviors and my um self-destruction mechanisms were really getting worse and I um found a really amazing psychologist that helped me and she um was really confused because what I had been going through this whole for four years or something like that was depression it was just being sad and lonely and numb and um and I had a lot of anxious thoughts and I always I would go to the supermarket and get really stressed because I thought people were looking at me and um I felt really self-conscious all the time and I admit now I was a really pretty young girl like I think that it was just everything um, blurring my mind at that stage when mm. I was like, I hate myself. And I, I was really not kind to myself, which I think doesn't help. Yeah, I remember, got, I just remember I would get out of class. I'd just stand up and leave because I just couldn't deal with class anymore. Mm. I would just um, leave school. I didn't want to be there. And um, I would have a quite a manic um, kind of 
mannerisms when I would get home I just kind of lash out and get really impulsive with my behaviors and um, my emotions really took over me and I didn't understand what was happening because for the last four years I'd been feeling just really sad and down yeah and then um, all of a sudden all these emotions were coming up and my mum was like oh it seems like you've got um, you know bipolar or something and mm. um, at this stage I had been diagnosed with depression but I went to this psychologist that was amazing and she had diagnosed me with depression and then she thought um, that the way that I'd been explaining myself that I may have some sort form of social anxiety but she was really worried that I may have bipolar so I had to do a test and I remember sitting in a room and she answered she it was like a meditation and then she got to the end of the test and she said oh actually this is what I thought it could be and Mm. she had said that I had borderline personality disorder which is when you your emotions are really unstable and you can't control them yeah because bipolar is such a high and a low yeah I kind of wasn't hitting the extreme highs or the extreme lows I was kind of just like jumping from either in the matter of five minutes um and yeah having a lot more emotions than just high and low was like anger and yeah self like self-pity and um you know I'd sob for 10 minutes about an ad on tv um and then I'd kind of bring that emotion into my real life even though it was something you know completely a irrelevant. sad ad that you know mm. <laughs> advertisement but that illness has a lot of stigma around it too because people think that it's like oh you got multi- multiple personality disorder it's nothing like that I think when I was 16 I got put on medication because I remember I went on the pill at the same time and mm. that all was a bit of a hard thing to get um, used to but it was one of those things that because I needed to try and lift my mood up when I was sad and um, depressed so the the medication did help and I remember the first lot of medication didn't I remember time some 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 medications can actually make you worse yeah yeah Yeah. so the first lot of medication I got I was like I feel worse I feel worse Um, and yeah like um, all the suicidal thoughts and things like that they became really more prominent and then my psychs and doctors were saying no she has to get off this yeah it was more dangerous there was more harm than good I guess and then they put me on another one that they felt that would level it all out a bit and it did I was on that one for yeah a good yeah few years I was then 18 I was still going through a lot but I had a gap year because I was like I don't know what I want to do with my life and I had this logical voice in my head kind of saying we need to figure this out you need to try and um figure what you want out at that time I was in another relationship so I'd move on to it my second long-term relationship at the time took myself off my medication I think a year after year 12 so maybe when I was my first year of uni Mm -hmm. I um just was like no I don't want them anymore don't do that go always go to your professional to do that I um I just again that was one of the really impulsive um, behaviors that my borderline personality disorder kind of had did to me I would just kind of say no um I guess it was a positive thing but those types of things can also have negative outcomes I then made a vow to myself that if I were to go off my medication I needed to work on myself yeah you can't you can't go off your medication and then and just, just sit in your room happy yeah, yeah. so yeah. I made sure that if I had any thoughts or any um triggers or anything like that that I had things in mind and in place that I would go to yep. and make sure that I did them mm-hmm. because um it doesn't work if you're not on your own your own team yeah um I still go through a lot of 
ups and downs and I still feel really anxious and um, really sometimes I get really sad but um, I also have lots of really positive coping mechanisms and a really supportive group around me. Yeah. I think that's the most important part because as I said before when you're surrounding yourself with people that aren't helping you it's Mm. not like it isn't helping you so I'm um, on the road to pure happiness I think nine years ago as I said lots of people didn't talk about this so yeah I was talking to my mum the other day about doing the podcast and she was saying that you know when my grandparents were um, you know if they ever felt depressed or sick it was not talked about at all they were at home and they were had the flu or something they it was never spoken about mm. and um, my mum said that you know if they ever felt sad at work or anxious at work well their bosses wouldn't let them have a day off like a mental health day didn't exist yeah. so it's great that it has evolved and um, mm-hmm. a lot of people are opening their eyes to mental illness because everyone goes through it yeah but, um, yeah even when I was in high school, which wasn't that long ago, there were still people that didn't believe it was real and yeah. thought that I was making it up, um, yep. thought that I was doing attention. it for attention. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, if someone is doing that, it definitely is them being like, I need help. It's a cry for help. There's a fine line and it's not that. And to say that it's attention-seeking is obviously ignorant and I think a lot of children that would say that if as soon as one high school kid says that the rest will because they'll jump on it and see it as a negative thing or it's what's been fed into them through parents and social media and 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 the internet back then didn't have um like trigger warnings or um content that was explicit you know um, i know that tumblr now doesn't let you see a lot of content yeah um yeah i do remember in high school a lot of people didn't want to talk to me about my depression and anxiety yeah I remember if I went to a party or to a house or um at school um people would you know be like how are you and I remember someone once said to me like how are you oh shouldn't ask you that I know the answer um yeah and I was like oh well you know I may have been having a good day that day I can't remember I just remember them saying that but it was more the fact that it Um, it was kind of like they just assumed that I was always sad and that's how I was and Mm. I guess that was the stigma around it back then as well but I if I could tell myself my like self five years ago how I am now I don't think she would have believed me like I think that I've definitely worked on myself so much and made that conscious effort to actually you know put myself first and help myself Yeah. yeah yeah I'm not cured depression and anxiety and the borderline personality disorder for me is not gone it's always here but I know that as I said I know my limits and I know my triggers as this whole mental health you know scheme and support network in the whole world is evolving and getting better um I'm loving seeing all the males come out and say, I have experienced this. Um, Because, Mm -hmm. as we all know, I think bottling up just does not help. Um, But, yeah, it's it's hard. I think – I don't know why that stigma for men, you know, is is there. there. Men don't cry. Um, Yeah. And it's, like, it's bad to say this, but even, like, I appreciate it so much if a partner of mine or a guy friend of mine or family member that's a guy of mine can openly cry in front of me Mm. and be open about their emotions. And I shouldn't appreciate that. That shouldn't be something that I'm like, oh, my God, they cried in front of me. Oh, my God, Mm. they do this. That shouldn't be how I feel. And it's because it is so stigmatized and so not seen as normal, in quotation marks, for men to be able to be emotional and, like, be sad or be depressed or have issues with their mental health. Mm that we are at a point where, like, yeah, I, I, I had it, like, a, last month or the month before. One of my mates 
cried in front of me and he's a dude and I remember thinking oh my god I'm so glad they could do that but why like they shouldn't be a that's mm. so glad I don't think that when a girlfriend of mine cries I don't yeah. go oh my god they cried in front of me that's not a thing that even crosses my mind yeah. and that's and that's the whole thing and within I, society yeah it's just... I think that's also what you talk about how um you know toys and clothes are not genderized yeah. and I think that um you know when people do have those stereotypes of boy and girl yeah. situations and things and materials. Does the same to emotions. Yeah, um, yeah, like boys are supposed to be strong and um, you know masculine, and they shouldn't, you know, ever have that emotion, emotional toll. Um, but I think that that's all really rubbish. I think that mm-hmm. everyone, as I said, a human, we all go through the same thing. Those society stigmas are not right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. I'm sure many people listening appreciate hearing you open up about your story and it may even help some of them realise they need to get help themselves, which I really hope it does because that was very courageous of you to do. So we have some questions from you guys that we're now going to answer as best we can, keeping in mind we're not health professionals and can only provide anecdotal evidence and advice from our own personal experience. So if you are struggling, you really should seek some professional guidance. Okay, first question is, what are some of the signs that you have depression? I think I have it, but I'm unsure. Well, I think as I said at the start, when you, I had that really heavy feeling. So I, I kind of just had that, there was a weight on my shoulders and I kind of felt like everything kind of turned grey I guess it was like I was living a monochrome (laughs) black and white kind of life um because yeah um one of those most common symptoms is Mm -hmm. your passions kind of change and you don't feel motivated um and like a physical one that people say there is a lot is um you know never wanting to get out of bed and you've kind of you've kind of gone through the avenues of you know, glandular fever, chronic fatigue, and it's kind of... Um, it's not that. Other people may also comment on, you know, your characteristics and be like, you've definitely changed. You've changed, um, yeah, big one. I, I was really lucky that I caught on to it, but I'm a really self-aware person. Yeah. Um, I know people in my life that have really changed and mm. um, they've been going through something and because I know because I've gone through it, I can see, oh, are you okay? Because you, you know, you don't seem yourself. And um, yeah. so it's great that people around you, if they kind of give you that can advice, you yep. can, you know, it may might be completely wrong. There might be something in your life going on, but also if you're kind of going, you're feeling a bit off and then someone brings that up to you, it might be a sign that yeah. you're... Um, going through something a bit deeper Mm -hmm. um but yeah everyone has different symptoms as well but they're just ones that I have experienced before yeah and that kind of leads perfectly into the next one like I was just about to ask you so that um obviously being depressed or feeling depressed is not always about feeling super sad which does lead perfectly into question number two which is why do I constantly feel sad and can never explain why Mm. and because of course you just touched on some symptoms of symptoms and signs of depression and you didn't really mention you 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 mentioned it like a weight on you but it wasn't you didn't identify it as sadness straight away whereas Mm. then this person obviously everyone experiences depression differently but yeah this person just asked why do I constantly feel sad and can never explain why well that was what I had feeling um as I said after those kind of initial two weeks or a few weeks after that initial kind of feeling of being really weighted down yeah um and my mum really helping me with that um and you know she helped me see or she be sorry she helped me become aware of the feelings but yeah I definitely felt sad and I um 
I felt sad a lot of the time mm-hmm. and it was hard because I know you, you want to be happy at this. Like I remember being like, why am I not feeling happy? I want to be happy. I'm yeah. living, I'm breathing. I'm, um, I have good friends. I'm going to school. I'm I really lucky. I live a lucky life. Why yeah. am I sad? Yeah. So I completely understand that. And I think that this doesn't have to be a reason as no. that's my that's my situation. That was yeah. my experience. There was no reason. And there which, often isn't an explanation. Hmm. And I think that's yeah. you're saying can never explain why and sometimes there is no why. Yeah. So then from that, if you kind of feeling that sadness for a long time, it is important to seek help. But in the sense, if you don't feel comfortable with a, you know, a counsellor or someone professional because, it, you know, you may be going through something mm-hmm. in your life, you know, just talk it out with a friend and um, ex- trust. explain some, you know, some of the feelings you're feeling and um, go from there. But, yeah, there doesn't have to be a reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um, definitely I've experienced that feeling, definitely. This person said, what's the difference between feeling anxious and actual diagnosed anxiety? That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I was saying to Megan before the podcast, I have social anxiety. So yep. that's... Um, a lot more to do with your own feelings towards how other people see you and perceive you. you. So yeah. um, as I said before, I'd be in a supermarket or I'll be outside and I think people are looking at me and I kind of feel embarrassed or self-conscious and um, things like that. So yeah. um, like that for me is, you know, a different form like anxiety. I know that people have panic attacks and that's, yeah. a, you know, um, you know, heart racing and, What's a lot of the stress moments, like, yeah. yeah. Um, But I think that when you get diagnosed, it's a lot of those feelings, um, experiences and feelings that are over and over and over again. I think think the difference, I mean, I have not been diagnosed with actual anxiety. I think, though, the difference, I did hear this on a podcast I was listening to a few weeks back. I think the difference, the main difference is actual diagnosed anxiety is an ongoing, persistent Mm. thing that you struggle with and live with for months, weeks, months. Whereas you can have, like, I myself have never been diagnosed with anxiety, but I've definitely felt anxious. I've had panic attacks before in the past, but generally, day to day, I do not experience anxiety it's very very rare for me and I think that's what the difference is Mm. you you can experience anxiety without being diagnosed with it oh yes every single person will experience anxiety at some point in their life in some form whether that's extreme or mild it I think that's what the difference is yeah I've never I know all my friends and family members have gone through a form of anxiety Mm -hmm. and it's just something that links to stress and everyone's bodies react differently to it But, yeah, as you said, um, it's an ongoing thing, yeah, I think. And um, some people, it's so severe for them that they can't get out of bed and live their normal yeah. life because it's um, something that takes over you. Yeah. Again, like, depression does that too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that that would be the main difference. And that could also be something that then links into, we were saying before, like, what are the signs and symptoms of depression? I think a lot of the time it can overlap with other mental illnesses such as anxiety because if you're feeling too anxious and everything to get out of bed... A lot of those things would feel the same because, as we said before, depression is not just feeling sad. It's not just being numb. It's so many other things like feeling unmotivated and stuff. And Mm. then you feel like too anxious to get out of bed. How do you then know that that's not one or two or a mixture of both? Like it's so difficult. Because, yeah, when I had was diagnosed with depression, um, 
it was like a you know major depression it was all of those signs of major depression but then I was having those like hostile destructive like risk-taking behaviors Mm -hmm. which don't really fall under the depression um like it was a little bit it's a branch off and that's when I my psych was probably realizing that I was showing a bit more of a branch um to a different mental illness um in that sense because yeah I there was a lot of things that were happening in my mind that yeah, really kind of were causing more of a dep- more than depression but yeah. yeah yeah now this was a very common question that we got so we really wanted to bring it up and discuss it this was my family doesn't believe that depression is a real thing I'm really struggling what do I do yeah I I mean as I said my mum and dad were really really supportive and they understood it but I did have a friend that um had depression and her parents didn't believe that it was a thing or um I think they were a bit more of an old school they weren't Mm. as educated as some people and probably didn't go through it um because I know that people that haven't been through it don't know how it feels yeah I mean for me I'm like I can't believe parents and families don't believe it's real because it is but I understand again it's that generation I guess but I mean for advice I think that if you had close friends that you could speak to about it I mean it's like a lot of situations and issues in today's society yeah if your parents aren't going to be supportive or your family aren't going to be supportive then you just need to help yeah but um Mm -hmm. in the sense of a whole mental illness not believing that mental illness is a real thing um I think that we all just ignorant yeah yeah definitely it's so publicized now not as much as it should be but it's becoming more and more prevalent in today's society in terms of speaking about it like we are today um on tv and in and in shows as well there's Mm. depression in shows and it's like for people to still not believe it's a real thing i think yeah my advice would be very similar either do confide in someone that is maybe younger and understands a little bit more that you do trust and you can talk to them about how you've been feeling and how your parents don't think believe you or anything or I think on the other hand sometimes and not to an extreme sense at all but I think sometimes it takes something happening for you to like sit down even if obviously you're clearly feeling depressed or sad it may actually take you to sit your parents down like if you're super depressed super sad all the time and breaking down in front of them and being like look I know you don't believe this is a thing but I'm sad all the time I'm feeling this all the time these are the things I've been feeling I don't think it's right I think I need help and maybe admitting to them that you need help might get through to them in some way you would hope being their child Mm. if you even have a sibling maybe perhaps an older sibling that could get through to them and be like hey Sam's not right that she's been coming to me for all of this or he or Mm. they or them like I think maybe a sibling can help but obviously if you don't have a sibling either a friend or another trusted family member that could speak to them or yep. a um sorry or a um teacher or, or a teacher a, as um, well chaplain at school yeah I mean I spoke to my school she wasn't a chaplain she was a nurse but um because I confided in a teacher that I was really close with and yep. they it's said it, and I guess it, it does break that um sometimes teachers don't want to break that um line between mm-hmm. you know student family student, barrier yeah, yeah but um which is why they say you need to see see the nurse but even um if you want to just talk about it a teacher is a really good um person to go to because they are an adult that can um kind of push you in the direction that you need to because i understand that feeling of being lost and you're like i don't know where to go i don't know who to talk to so yeah definitely yeah 
This person said, how do you tell people you think you have social anxiety when you're a loud and outgoing person? I thought this was actually perfect for mm. you to answer because you're super, you <laughs> are outgoing, but then yeah, you struggle yeah. with this anxiety as well. Yeah, I, if you know me, I am really outgoing. Super I, confident, <laughs> super loud. Yeah, I think that um, I do, yeah, pride myself on being very confident and be, being very loud and happy, outgoing, you know, um, optimistic, but... I do well. I I do remember when I was younger. Um, people knew me like that, and then when I would show um, being depressed, like when I would be at school and didn't want to talk to anyone and um, just wanted to be by myself, a lot of people were kind of like, "Oh, why is she being a bitch?" Yeah. Um, I wasn't. I was just purely just wanting to be by myself. If I meet someone, I tell them my whole life story in the first five minutes. That's just my personality. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very much like I remember being very honest with people, um, especially my closest friends, because I was wanting them to know that they were they weren't doing anything wrong. It was like I'm feeling really an- anxious right now, mm. or I. I have these feelings and I'm going through them and I just want you to know that if I'm um, yeah. ignoring you or just want to be by myself, that's just how, what I'm doing and that's what I'm going through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's really what you have to do. I found yeah. that honesty helped with me Yeah. and I think that at the same time, I think a lot of people are realising this in this day and age that not everyone is outgoing, confident every all the time like yeah every minute of the day I know that I see a lot of influences now coming on stories and things like that and pretty much just saying I know I have this image to kind of yeah. hold but I'm feeling down today and no. that's just that's right how I'm feeling so and people um people seem to associate anxiety with introverts or socially mm. awkward humans and that's not like some might experience that, yes. Some also might not. There are plenty of introverted people out there who mm. do not experience social anxiety yeah. or anxiety as a whole. And that's the thing, and I think that's what you're asking because you obviously are a loud and outgoing person and it's just educating your mm. friends, educating the people around you, being like, hey, yes, you know me as this loud and outgoing person, but I'm actually struggling with being... I, I get social anxiety. Yeah. This is how it affects me. And if I'm acting this way, it's not you, it's me. Mm. I know that's very cliche, but a lot of the time it is. And a lot of the time with things like mental illness, sexuality, gender identity, people like to put, people like to turn it around on them. Mm. If you act a certain way in front of them, they're like, oh, what have I done? And it's like, yeah. it's not always about you. Take a step yeah. back. This is advice for friends. Take a step back and be like, okay. They might be going through something, ask them. And there's probably always a reason for the way that they're acting. And a lot of the time it probably has nothing to do with you. So, yeah, I think just be honest with them and, yeah, also educate them on the fact that you can be socially anxious. You can have anxiety and be a super outgoing, loud, confident person. Like Yeah, mask a lot of things. And I understand that sometimes it can feel a bit too much. Like, oh, I don't want to go out and act a certain way. It gets to that point where you don't want to go to a party because you don't want to act happy and outgoing. So in those senses or in that, sorry, in that sense, it's important to have that close friend or a few friends that you don't have to be that around. Yeah. And you might say, I really don't want to go to this party because I don't want to act this certain way those friends might be like, hey, let's just go to the party. It might be good and let's just 
sit in a corner yeah. you know or let's just let's just keep it chill low key you yeah. know what I mean so I mm-hmm. think having those people to kind of push you um but also in that in your own safety square in the sense of um you know you don't have to act outgoing and um you know confident all mm-hmm. the time yeah um so yeah I think definitely having those friends that you can really Mm-hmm. Um, that they understand and you can confide in you. Yeah, I've definitely met those people and I've kept those people close to me in my life and I was very like that in high school. I was very outgoing, confident. I was at every party I could possibly be mm-hmm. at and was not the life of the party. I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I'd be mm-hmm. at every party. I'd go with someone, I'd get mm-hmm. ready with someone, be really excited and happy to go. I never experienced any anxiety and it wasn't until I got to uni and even now sometimes where I'm guessing it's some sort of anxiety, but I'm just like, I don't know if it's part of like becoming an adult and being a little bit older, but honestly, obviously through COVID, we haven't had any time to do this, but I feel like when we go back to being normal and having nights and being asked to go out, I just have this thing in the back of my mind where I'm like, I kind of just want to stay at home. Mm. And I don't know whether that's just me getting older and being like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with the hangover or if it's me being anxious, being like, I don't want to go because I don't want to be in a situation with people like I've Mm. experienced that more and more it's not serious enough to really keep me from going because if Mm. if I'm feeling like that and then a mate is like no come on let's go I'll get up and go but sometimes it takes me I used to be that person encouraging others to be like come on let's go whereas now I need that encouragement and Mm -hmm. I don't quite know what that is but yeah I think like Charlie said having that group that support group around you that knows what you're going through and knows that all right well if we go to this party you don't have to be that person. We can just go and chill. Mm. It doesn't always have to be this big thing. This person said, how do you cope with anxiety, especially during COVID? With COVID, I think that mm-hmm. a lot of people have struggled. I've heard a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, seen statistics of people really struggling through this time because um, it is. it has been a bit of a time where you have to kind of listen to yourself and yep. you're stuck with yourself a bit. And I think for me, I'm... I think that it was such a positive year for me. I'm so blessed for this year and I'm so grateful because I've learned so much about myself. I used to really hate being by myself and that was one of my anxiety that I hated being around myself because Mm -hmm. I think because I was scared of who I knew I used to be. I knew that being by myself in my head, that was a straight link to being depressed. Okay, oh God, there's all these bad things are going to happen now. But I've learned so much about myself this year and Mm -hmm. I have realized that I love being by myself my own company is my best company I think sometimes and um you know that's just for me and I think I'm really lucky that I've had that thought process but I understand that some people um are you know are feeling really shit and struggling in this time so yeah I guess Mm -hmm. again with anxiety I think it's just those coping mechanisms that you need to try and trial and error figure it figure out which ones work and which ones don't um and yeah work kind of through those do Um, things that make you feel good that you already know yeah make you feel good so just because you're struggling with anxiety ways to cope with it how how else would you cope with being stressed in the past or sad in the past like do things that you know make you feel good but at the same time it's also good to recognize that you're feeling anxious it's Mm. it's fine every every single person I can guarantee has been feeling this or has felt this at some point I for example I had never really I'd experienced anxiety in terms of as I mentioned before with parties and just not wanting to be super loud just in a mood just didn't want to be that person whereas this was something I was like I think 
the whole COVID thing just like induced a lot of fear into mm. me and it wasn't about myself it was about the people I loved and cared about around me it was my family it was my parents my grandparents everyone that I couldn't be with because I don't live near them so I have family overseas and my family here live two and a half hours away and for majority of this year I couldn't go and visit them because of our restrictions so it was I had so much anxiety surrounding them and making sure they were okay but actually not being able to physically go and do that Mm. it just like overwhelmed me I such a stressful time it was so stressful I experienced my first panic attack this isolation like the first round of isolation we had in Victoria here I fully had a panic attack and I stressed myself out so much that I thought I had COVID because one of the main symptoms was a tight chest and shortness of breath Mm. and I had all of this and my housemates were so good and some of them had had panic attacks in the past and they were like you're all good we think it's this let's like see how you go and it obviously dissipated eventually but Mm. it was hell it was waking up with a tight chest not being able to breathe it was so much And yeah, and that was, I'm sure many, many people have experienced that during this time. I think knowing and acknowledging that you are dealing with anxiety Mm. and then doing things that make you relax, like meditating, yoga, Mm. reading a book, music. I've learnt, I learnt so many things that I didn't know I enjoyed. Yeah. I did, I don't really read and now I read a lot and, um, I, yeah, yoga and meditation, I'd never done that before and, um. I started writing a journal again, which has been really therapeutic as well. But yeah. I always said that, um, you know, having a mental illness um, is kind of like you're going through that kind of stage. At stage, sorry, having mental illness is like you have to go through those stages. And one number one in anything is admitting that you have something that you're going through, like you're experiencing. Yeah. And that's you know, if you are feeling that you are feeling anxious in this time, that's like the first step that you need to go yeah. and you cross over and going, Oh, I actually am experiencing these things and then again, as we all know, the second step really is kind of have it finding those avenues, where can I find that help? So yeah. um I think yeah, dealing with that is just having to trying and figure out what things work best for you as we've spoken about before mm-hmm. today everything uh, everyone goes through different things and everyone has different parts um everyone has different coping mechanisms something might work for me really well but megan wouldn't it wouldn't work for her so yeah yeah, yeah. this is a really interesting one when should you tell someone about your anxiety and or other mental health issues when dating someone mm. honestly yes that's a good question yeah well I think we all know me now. Um, I think <laughs> honest, honesty is best policy. I mean, yeah. probably not on your first date when you're sitting in a nice restaurant, you're like, oh, by the way. Yes. Um, but I think Unless that, it comes up. Yeah, unless it comes up. I think yeah. that definitely, um, say if you are feeling anxious or um, nervous or something like that, I mean, I understand different personalities and, you know, but I think that I would definitely speak up and be like, hey, I'm just feeling a bit nervous right now. And that's completely fine because yeah. the pers- other person is probably feeling as nervous just as, as you nervous. are. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, if you're progressing with the same person, it's not just, you know, one date. I think if you're progressing with one person and you're learning a lot about each other and once you feel really comfortable with that person, It'll come up. it will come up. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, definitely if I have been in situations where you – start talking to someone and then you kind of start seeing them a bit mm-hmm. and you you're having so much fun and you kind of are raveled up in that 
you know, getting to know each other on that really light, fun basis. Yeah. So I think that once it starts to become serious or more serious than it, you know, the first few dates had been, I think that's when that's you, spot. um, yeah, you, you know, I think that you would know when you, I yeah. think, I think that you would feel that feeling as like, I want to open up to this person or they might bring something up and you can be like, well, actually I going through the same thing or yeah. I've been there, mm-hmm. um, in that sense. But yeah, I think that honesty is the best policy as I say, but, um, I don't think hiding it is any does any good for no. anyone because um, if that person um, kind of becomes that significant other for you and they don't know that you've got past history of um, mental illness or you have or you are going through something mm-hmm. like that, you know, it, it could be a bit dangerous in the sense that you know if you have fights and things, they won't understand how why you're yeah. acting that way, and mm-hmm. it, it depends. It just I think that definitely being open about it, but at the same time in your own time. Yeah. And on the other hand, of course, like, yeah, do take your own time in telling them and tell them when you're ready. But at the same time, you don't want to get too far into a relationship Mm. with someone that you think you like and that you think is great for you and stuff. And then to eventually tell them and then they totally freak out and they're like, no, I I can't deal with this because you don't want to be in that situation either. So I think, yeah, I think there's a right time. You'll know when. And obviously, if you're with someone, you're vibing, obviously. You're liking each other and trusting each other and being able mm. to talk openly about things, it'll you'll know when to tell them. Yeah. Definitely. How do I help a friend that has depression? I had a friend that was like, I really want to be there for you, but I don't know how because I've never been there. If you haven't experienced it, that's completely fine. The yeah. only thing I say is just be there for them. Be that person to just lend an ear. Yeah. I always used to say to people, I'm the tree that you can just sit against and talk to, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I... I don't have to be the one to talk. Even though I have been through it, You don't. I don't have to give you advice. You can just talk to me. I think that if you definitely, yeah, if you don't know how to approach yeah. someone, one of your friends, just hug them. Just yeah. um, listen to them because at, this, at the end of the day, that's really all. That's all you can they, do yeah, all you can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you don't, and I don't think everyone wants you to relate to them. No. I don't want, I don't think that, um, Someone seeking help or a friend just saying, look, I'm having a bad day. Um, they don't want you to be like, okay, this is what I do. Maybe they just no. want you to listen. Yeah. I know um, during this time that restrictions are easing, um, myself included, a lot of friends are ringing me or I ring them and say, can we just hang out? And we just sit there <laughs> because like, yeah. we just we kind of we need each other but at the same time we don't need to be talking about what's wrong it's Mm -hmm. more just like being in someone's company that's a positive vibe and just having that kind of chill time so I think yeah um yeah I think that definitely just be there for them just listening to them or being in the same room as them is helpful um is helpful sorry if you experience someone asking you for help or you know that they're going through something and then they ask you to go on a coffee I always suggest to say yes because that might be their cry for help or that yeah. may be their, I just need someone right now. Yeah. Um, because it is easy to fall into that trap of ringing five people and they all say no and then you go, fuck, I have no friend, blah, blah. You go into that downward spiral, which mm. is not true. It's just the mental illness. So yeah. Um, I think, yeah, definitely if you're that person that knows someone that is going through it, check up on them. Yeah. Make sure that they are okay. Yeah. And as you were saying before, like maybe sometimes it's even better. You're saying, how do I help a friend that has depression? And if you haven't experienced it yourself, sometimes it's better for a person that hasn't experienced it to be helping and to be Mm. there. Because as you said before, if someone, if you're surrounding yourself with people 
that have depression and you're saying, yeah, this is so bad for me, I did this last night, I had these thoughts yeah. last night, and then they're feeding, oh, I did this and I did this, that's not helping at all. I think a person that, even though it makes you maybe feel like, oh, I'm not doing this alone, if you're with someone that hasn't experienced it but also can't feed into those negative thoughts and can just sit there and listen and try and help, I feel like is much more positive. Like with Charlie as well, when she was going through all of this, we were in high school and I was probably one of few of your friends that Mm. I didn't know how to help. I didn't know what to fucking do at all. But Mm. I was always there or I would always at least sit with her or hug her while she cried or just sat there. Mm. I didn't know what to say, but you don't always have to say something to help. We're not health professionals in high school as children. (laughs) Yeah. We we don't have (laughs) a psych degree, right? Like, unless you do, you're not going to know exactly what to say. And even psychologists Mm. don't know all the right things to say. They're just trained with ways to help you cope and Mm. and depending on who you are. So anyone in any situation can help. It's just how you go about that. Yeah. I think. When it comes to anxiety, how do you deal with having a panic attack in public or with friends? I think this is like before. I think that um, I would be honest. Like yep. today we were shopping and I just had to leave the, the shop that we're in and I yep. just stand out the front. Um, but like Megan knows that's just me needing to just get out of that situation. Yep. So I think that um, if your friends aren't really aware of how you are, you just need to be like, guys, I need to sit down. I need to get out of this situation space yeah um and then if they're like why is they why are they being like that they follow you maybe and you Mm -hmm. can explain it later but I think in that moment um I understand that Mm -hmm. those feelings can really overwhelm you and take over a bit yeah so you just definitely act on it straight away in the sense of sitting down or getting out of that yeah remove yourself and then um if you know it could still be in public I've cried in big w because i'm anxious and mum's had to take me out of the shop Mm -hmm. and people are like why is she crying it's Mm -hmm. it's okay to show your emotions in public because again no one not everyone knows your business like you're you're your own person but um i think definitely act on it straight away remove yourself from the situation and then explain to your friends if they don't know be honest with them and just say i felt really anxious in there i need to leave yeah Uh, What are some of your favourite coping mechanisms? Now that you've been through all of this, you know your triggers and you know what um, helps you and what doesn't help you, what are some of your favourite things that Hmm. do help you? Um, I have really enjoyed walking, so I walk all the time now. Um, Listening to music is another big thing for me. I used to use it as a fuel. That was a negative fuel, um, which kind of made me not like music I really didn't like it because I had this negative stigma around it Mm. but now that I've kind of grown up and realized that music can actually be a really healing um mechanism I use it now um yeah as a mechanism to help me calm down or when I walk I um yeah I will listen to like pump up music um I write in my journal a lot I've been having a lot of solo dance um, parties in my room yeah. in isolation. So that really helps me too. Um, and, yeah, I think all those other ones like friends surrounding yourself with positive support networks and stuff yeah. like that. But in the terms of individual, um, yeah, I think being creative as well is really good one. But those three, music, walking and writing, those yeah. things really help me in the sense of getting my emotions out yep. and kind of... Yeah, clearing my head and starting a new chapter. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This person said, I feel like I need to talk to a professional, but I'm scared to. Any advice? If you're really anxious about going to that final stage of really, you know, this is real, I have to seek professional, um, I would say start off small, talk to people that you trust, like a yep. best friend or a sibling or a parent, um, kind of go from there. I know that um, when I was going to weekly psych sessions, say I'd see her on Monday and then during the week things would happen, but I'd talk to my friends about it yeah, and talk and talk and talk Mm because I learned that talking is the best um, to anyone. Talking to yourself, I talk to myself all the time, Um, writing down things like in a written form, but also, yeah. So then by the time Monday came around, Mm -hmm. I'd kind of spoken about things. So I had been able to... Um, regulate all of my emotions by that next Monday. So then my psych also had a bit of an idea of kind of how to help me because mm-hmm. I'd been talking um, the whole week. So yeah. I think that that's another thing of not bottling up. You need to speak to someone regardless. So it doesn't have to be a professional if right away. Too, yeah. If you're worried that what you're going through is a bit um, hectic, um, definitely see what other opinions are around you in a close trusted network and then yeah if they Mm -hmm. all think look we do think that you need that they then you know that you have a supportive network if they're being that supportive then you can they can help you do that it is a big jump I I didn't want to do it and as I said before I went through a lot of psychologists which Mm -hmm. I hated because I hated having to go from the start of my life to this point in my life yeah. and it's like, oh god like seven 16 17 18 years of my life why do I have to tell a new person yeah so um I know it's a big big jump yeah but the only thing I can say is when you find the right person you don't know why you didn't do it sooner so yeah. definitely yeah no, I can agree take with small that. steps yeah I've dealt with depression in different ways definitely in milder forms and in shorter shorter in duration I had like a six month period where I was just depressed. I went through my first mm. proper breakup. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a difference between heartbreak and depression, but it didn't go away. So like I was really sad for that and everything. And then it just sort of stayed. And if anything, it got worse. And I, I tried speaking, like I spoke to Charlie about it a little bit. And like, mm. I tried speaking to friends about it and they were like, like, obviously, I was sad about the breakup, but then once that was all over, and obviously it can linger for a while, but then there was, like, everything else was so positive in my life. I was like, why am I still so sad? And, like, I, it wasn't even really a, I don't want to get out of bed. It was just constant sadness. And, like, I had the breakup there in the back of my mind, but I was like, surely I can't be sad from this still and this this sad over a boy. And mum and dad, like, got to a, like, I got to a point where at school I would be so happy. It was all fake, but I'd be so happy and if I had friends over, I'd be happy or go to their house, I'd be happy. But then as soon as I got home, I was sad. Mm. Um, I'd be in my room a lot. And mum and dad just got to a point where they tried talking to me and I was just like, I, I, I'm i just sad. And they made me almost pretty much force me to go to a psychologist because I didn't want to. I was scared to. I was like, I don't need to go. Like, it's really not that bad. But then it was bad. And that was just me being like, mm. no, like trying to push it away. And then once I saw someone, like Charlie just said, like, as soon as you see the right person... It's so worth it and it helps so much, but it has to be the right person. And as she said, she went through so many different psychs and my psych that I went to was turned out to be the right person for me at the right time and luckily the first person I saw. What should I do if I'm in an unsupportive environment that doesn't help or support me? I think definitely 
try and remove yourself from it. I guess, like, I know that family, you can't really remove yourself from your family. Yeah. But in the sense, if you're at school, maybe find a group or, a, you know, a teacher that can support you. Yeah. Um, if you're an adult, there may be, like, work friends that you might be able to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as adults, we kind of stop that impulsive need to make new friends and um, make new connections. But um, I love making new connections. I'll talk to anyone and everyone's. And I think that that is also something that not everyone can do. But I think that definitely if you're an adult, then trying to find different support networks in different places such as work or um, like an interest, like a sporting um, thing that you do or anything like that. Um, And then once you find those supportive people and networks, you can kind of phase that negative and toxic um, connections. Those, sorry, you can kind of Mm -hmm. phase those toxic connections away. I understand if it's your family, you don't want to do that. That's fair enough. But at the same time, surrounding yourself in negative energy is just going to make your energy negative. Yeah, so if you are lacking that supportive environment, find it somewhere else, especially Mm. it is difficult, as Charlie said, if it's your family and you're living with them or relying on them. If you're Mm. in high school, you need to... And you, Well, say you don't have any other close family or friends that you can stay with and you have to stay there, that's hard because you're constantly in that negative environment. But finding that solace somewhere else Mm. is probably a good spot to start. Yeah. How do you raise self-esteem and become confident in yourself and learn to trust yourself? I think getting out of high school, that helped. I think you spoke about that, how um, high school, you really care about what everyone thinks because you're all in this bubble. But once you kind of get out of high school and you get out of uni, you realise that you're your own person. Everyone else is their own person too. Yep. Used to care so much what other people thought of me. Had shit, shitty, shitty, shitty self-esteem. I was not very confident. I don't think I was very confident. Maybe in some things, like in sport, yeah. but like anything in my personal life, nah. Anything I wore, no. And that, yeah, as Charlie said, definitely comes with getting out of high school. Some people are confident and happy within themselves and whatever in high school, but I think mm. it's quite rare um, to find yourself that, that early and that soon in life. Um, but yeah, leaving school, finding yourself. Um, and de- devoting the time to yourself yeah. as well. How do you get over the feeling that it'll never get better? Um, I think, yeah, I said this before. I think that it's hard when you're in that situation. Mm. You go, oh, everyone's telling me it's going to get better and I'm feeling like I'm in this rut. Yeah. But it's like when you break up with someone and your mum or your dad says, it's just time, it's just time, and you're yeah. just like, fuck you. Yeah. Because you're you're heartbroken and you're like, I can never love again. And, yeah. And then all of a sudden... You do. <laughs> your days get easier and you kind of, you, you know, you find love in yourself and then you yeah. you decide, you progress as a person as I we were just talking about. So I think mm-hmm. um, it is really hard to find that other side of the bridge. But I think once you get there, you yeah. get there. I, I, it's hard because everyone's different as I've been saying. But um, Yeah, and I feel like you can't really overcome the feeling in the time when you are feeling that. Yeah, exactly. That and the yeah. way you're, if you're asking that, that means you're just in that feeling of nothing's going to get better. Um, mm. and, and that's just in that, and that's just in your experience where you might be feeling overwhelmed by that yeah. feeling, um, which is completely normal because it's a bad feeling. It's not a nice feeling. So, um, mm-hmm. but definitely it does get better if that's not too cliche. Um, yeah. 
it's just a time thing and it's a progressing thing and if you have the support and the help that you're getting and um, different things then definitely um, it will yeah so the last question we have today is how do you get the courage to seek help and I honestly think this is probably one of the most important questions to end on Mm. Um, yeah how did you find the courage to seek help well, I think that um, I had a supportive network around me, mm-hmm. so that was really helpful. And they were all really egging me on, I guess, which was great because that kind of helps you push yourself. Yeah. Um, but, again, I think it's wanting to help yourself because there was a, a long time, a few months, probably – it was probably about nine months. It was quite a long time – I was feeling this way for a long time. I didn't want to see other people. I didn't want to talk to other people. I didn't want to see a professional. Yeah. Um, again, but probably because I was a bit like overwhelmed with everything I was feeling. Um, and that logical voice in my head kind of was like, this is enough. Like, enough is enough. Like you, and, you know, um, I then kind of wanted to help myself. And then that mm. was when I pushed myself to see people. And as I said, it wasn't all... F- Rosie, I had to go through a lot of people um, to get to where I got to, but um, mm-hmm. it's that first step, and that's the biggest step to take. It's yeah, um, yeah, a huge step to admit that you are unwell and you want to have help. But then it's a it's a huge step to then actually seek the help. Yeah. But um, if you don't feel comfortable talking to a professional or you feel like you can't afford it, there's always the services that we touched on at the start like mm-hmm. lifeline or beyond blue um there's so many headspace yeah the headspace there's so many um online chat rooms now yeah um that i i used when i was younger when i was it was at night time and i i just needed to talk to someone and back then i couldn't have my phone in my room because i was mm. 16 um back then but um i i would go on my laptop and um, talk to people and um, it really helped because mm. they're strangers and it sometimes it helps if you talk to a stranger and they're not definitely. in the same town as you. Yeah, They don't know who yeah. you are. They yeah. don't know anything about you. And then those steps, those small steps of talking to someone on the phone or um, or going and uh, sorry, going and talking to someone online that may then give you the courage to go talk to someone face to face yeah definitely um it's important also to talk to your doctor like your gp so um Mm -hmm. because you can't just walk into a psychologist's office um, you have to get a mental health plan done so it's important to actually have a really good doctor too, a doctor that you feel comfortable with because um here in australia you go to see your gp and then um you talk to them about it and then they write up a little report then send it off so um if you kind of feel confident in talking to them and um, they might give you the courage to then do it. If you're telling your doctor, these are how I'm feeling, then maybe they can help you find that courage. But again, yeah. as we said before, the supportive networks is a really important thing. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Great advice. Sorry for being so long. No, it's okay. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast, Charlie. I'm sure everyone really appreciates your vulnerability and honesty in this episode, as we said, it's something that really needs to be spoken about more. And while we are evolving to become a more open and progressive society when it comes to mental health, we still have a long way to go. Yeah, and it's and I'm so grateful that you've had me on here. Um, 
because I think sharing our stories is really important and Mm -hmm. um, it's a part of me. It's a part of my past and it's always going to be a part of me. So I think that um, sharing my story might help someone else. Um, So that's, you know, all I can hope for. So, yeah. it, and yeah, it's keeping that conversation open, which is really important. So thanks mm-hmm. so much for allowing me to have this platform. Of course. It's my absolute pleasure. Well, thank you guys so, so much for listening. As we said before, if you do need to reach out and seek help, please, please do. I'll leave the numbers to services such as Lifeline and Beyond Blue in the podcast notes below. Um, and again, yeah. Please, please do. It is so important to reach out, if not to a medical professional, just to someone you trust and someone you can confide in because, yeah, bottling up emotions isn't good for anyone. And the most important thing to take away from this episode is it is okay not to be okay and it is definitely okay to admit that. And admitting this to yourself or admitting it to someone else is honestly the first step to improving and helping yourself and honestly the first step to recovery and the most important Alrighty, well i'll see you guys in my next episode of topics of taboo bye charlie bye